I firmly believe that taking charge of your mindset allows you to be in the driver's seat of your life and unlock your potential. And that's why I'm thrilled to share that my new book is out right now. It's called The Greatness Mindset. In it, you'll learn how to build a plan for greatness through powerful exercises and toolkits designed to propel your life forward. This is the book that I wish I had 20 years ago. It's everything I've learned in the last decade with the research and the science to help you unlock your mind. Make sure to go to lewishouse.com slash 2023 mindset to pick up your copy of my book, The Greatness Mindset, today. The gut microbiome, it looks like it's, it's involved in everything. I mean, it, it conditions your mental health. It, it influences your interactions with the environment. I mean, it just, it's, it's the key to health and how you move through the world, right? So welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I wanted to ask you first about cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, especially over the last few years, have a fear of cognitive decline from foods they've eaten, from potential uh, injections they've taken, or other things, they've, or medicines that maybe are yeah. hurting or helping. So I wanted to talk about cognitive decline first and your thoughts about this. And what I, I think there's about. a lot of fear out there about it, also because people know people with cognitive decline. Yes. You know, we people have relatives who who've developed dementia. We see people whose memories are failing. I know a lot of people if they if they have memory lapses, immediately begin to think, "Am I getting Alzheimer's?" You know, there's just a lot of fear around that. Yeah. So, uh, what, what is the root cause of Alzheimer's? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, there is a, a, a minority of cases are genetic or familial, but most of them aren't, and we really don't know. I, I have to say my gut feeling with a lot of neurodegenerative disease, certainly with Parkinson's disease and ALS, I think these are environmentally caused mostly. Really? Yeah. Now, is that environment like what's in the air environment? Is it It's probably everything, but a big one is things like exposure to agrochemicals. And there's a higher incidence of Parkinson's and agricultural workers. I think all the stuff we're reading about plastics. I think it's good to be just cognizant of potential toxins in the environment. Right. But I will tell you that in terms of, co of preventing cognitive decline, um, probably the two most important pieces of advice I can give you is don't get hit in the head, mm -hmm. you know, which means really being careful if you're playing football oh, or basketball. Man. And I must say, I don't know what the future of football is going to be, but I, I think we're going to see more and more concern about you know, a traumatic brain injury. And that has long-range consequences. And the other one I would say is don't smoke. Uh, you know, that tobacco smoking is the single greatest cause of preventable serious disease. Really? And it strongly affects brain function as well because uh, nicotine constricts blood vessels, so it reduces blood flow. So those are just two, you know, basic pieces of advice that I would give you. You know, yeah. don't get hit in the head, don't smoke. Well, I think, I think people don't understand, like, the, the, the sadness and the pain that happens when you watch someone that you care about mentally decline, yeah, cognitively, right? Really, right? Like really. My, my dad got in a traumatic uh, car accident where the car came through the windshield and hit him in the head. Yeah. He was in a coma for three months and he never recovered. He was all physically here, but mentally Yeah, that's really, gone. really sad. And it was really sad for 17 years. We uh, lived with that experience with our father. Yeah. It was extremely sad because yeah. you feel hopeless. You feel like there's nothing we can do. Right. We tried everything. And there's only so much farther he can get right. back to. So number one is definitely don't get hit in the head because right. that's what happened. But a lot of people don't get hit in the head and they still have a cognitive decline. Right. Not a lot of people, but that happens for some people. And is it, I'm hearing environment, I'm hearing smoking, but are also like foods or other no, things. there's are, a lot of other things. Yeah, so yeah. let's talk about food nutrition yeah. first. Uh, we know that antioxidant protection is very good for the brain. So you want to make sure you're having an adequate intake of protective antioxidants, which you mostly get from consuming a variety of fruits and vegetables of mm -hmm. good quality. And in, uh, in general, it's a good idea to try to eat across the color spectrum. Yes. You know, because each color of fruits and vegetables 
has pigments that have particular beneficial effects. So that's just one good general rule. Okay. Uh, another is to make sure that you've got an adequate intake of omega-3 fatty acids, which are very important for brain health, uh, especially one of them, DHA. Um, and you know the best sources of these are oily fish. So it's salmon, sardines, herring, mackerel. Uh, but if you're not a fish eater or you're a vegetarian or vegan, there are now algae-based uh, mm. omega-3 supplements that you can take. Uh, but very important to think where your omega-3s are coming from. There are plant sources of omega-3s, things like flax seeds and hemp seeds. Uh, but the plant sources don't give you exactly what the body needs. It has to convert them. So it's good to eat those, but it's good to get some of the preformed long-chain omega-3s from fish or, or algae. Right. Uh, so is and, algae just as powerful as the fish? Yeah, it's the same. It really? gives you the same compounds. That's and, and that's only become available relatively recently. Interesting. Because I used to you know, really argue with vegetarians and vegans saying you've you, you got to eat some fish or take a fish oil supplement. But now I can tell them to take an algae gotcha. supplement, okay. which, is, you know, which is great. And uh, there's another one class of compounds that seem particularly important are called polyphenols. Uh -huh. It's a large group of compounds found mostly in fruits, vegetables, herbs, Spices, uh, tea is a good source of them. Berries, chocolate, uh, and uh, you know these have very protective effects on the brain. Now, as okay. you know, I'm a big fan of of green tea. Yes, a lot of research on that and being uh, useful for cardiovascular health, cancer prevention, brain health, and uh, so I think. And recently, there was a. Um, have you heard of the green Mediterranean diet? I, was re I heard about it researching your current stuff, but I don't yeah. know anything about it. No, it's just gotten some publicity. You know, we have a lot of, um, of scientific evidence for the benefits of the Mediterranean diet that uh, in terms of its yes. overall longevity, longevity yeah. and reduced risk of disease. But what's the green Mediterranean diet? So the green diet? Mediterranean diet is, is reducing animal foods even more, increasing plant foods, uh, and particularly loading the diet with poly sources of polyphenols. And they recommended you know, berries and green tea particularly. Uh, and uh, of, these, of the forms of green tea, the one that I'm particularly fond of is matcha, which mm -hmm. is the powdered green tea. Mm -hmm. Because of the way that it's grown, it has a higher content of antioxidant polyphenols. Uh, and it's also, you consume the whole leaf. It's the whole powdered leaf. Nice. So that's, that's the one I would recommend. Yeah, not, uh, the, not the Starbucks matcha, which has got tons of sugar exactly, and processed. Right, like and the, is low quality to yeah, begin yeah. with, yeah. So th that's, you know, and those are the main nutritional recommendations that I would give you. Gotcha. Uh, then the other things are all the lifestyle recommendations that you make and I make, you know, getting adequate rest and sleep, uh, regular physical activity. Um, you know, th those are the obvious ones. Uh, practicing, learning and practicing some methods of neutralizing the harmful effects of stress. The, the main hormone that mediates stress is cortisol. Cortisol is directly toxic to cells in the brain. Really? So it, the more stressed it, you are, the more... More cortisol circulating, and cortisol can kill brain cells. Wow. Particularly in the hippocampus, which is the region that mediates emotion and memory. So just, that's all you need to know, that you want to do something to keep your cortisol levels, you know, moderate or low. So would you say from that scenario, if someone has kind of a high level of ongoing stress for decades, are they more susceptible to... Well, I would say probably. I mean, I, don't, I can't give you hard evidence yeah. for that, but knowing what we know about cortisol, that if you have higher levels than you should for your life, probably it's going to damage your brain. Right. And there are many options for learning to control stress. My favorite are breathing techniques. And yes. not, whenever you want, I can you know, talk about... What's, what's the top breathing technique the, that you think The four, seven, eight breath. It's so simple and free and takes no equipment. It's an ancient yoga technique. And I've popularized it and it's got it got incredible traction uh, you know the uh the youtube videos of me teaching it are all you have to do is put in four seven eight breath okay. in my name i mean there are millions of views wow and it's uh, every every like every yeah i will and a few, every, few, every few days i get newspaper articles about it from india from indonesia you know another story about the four seven eight breath a, a ballet company in Toronto produced a ballet based, based on the 478 breath. I have no idea what that was, wow. was like. The, uh, the late prime minister of Japan who was killed, uh, Abe, 
gave new interviews saying that I taught him the four seven eight breath, and it was very helpful to him. I never met him, so I don't know what he was wow. thinking. Of. Maybe he read it somewhere. But you know, this is just it's it's a great thing. So, okay. and I learned it from one of my mentors was an elder elderly osteopathic physician, uh, Robert Fulford. I met him when he was in his eighties. Best healer I've ever met. Just used gentle hands on. Mm. And he said breathing was the most important function of the body. Really? Yeah. And a lot of his work was designed to free up restrictions in breathing, and he produced incredible cures. Anyway, he taught me this. So the basic method is you breathe in through your nose quietly to a count of four, hold your breath for a count of seven, blow air out forcibly through your mouth to a count of eight, repeat that for four breath cycles, and that's it. It takes uh, you know all of 30 seconds, but it's a practice. So the benefits of it come from doing this regularly. So you have to do this religiously at least twice a day. Really? Yeah, I do it in the morning when I first get up. Before I do some sitting meditation, I do it when I get in bed to fall asleep. And I do it any time in the day that I feel stressed or I want to relax. So I, I'll just show you what it looks yeah, like when you do it together. So it's, if you're, you can do it in any position, but if you're seated, it's good to keep your back straight and your feet on the floor. Okay. So you, and in yoga, this is a yoga breath. And in yoga, you're asked to keep your tongue in the yogic position, which is touching the tip of your tongue to the ridge of tissue behind your upper front teeth, like, like that. So you blow air out around it. <clears throat> so it looks like this. That's it, four breath cycles. Wow. It's a little hard for me to come back and talk to you after. Because <laughs> you're so relaxed. It, yeah, no, it produces a very nice altered state of consciousness that I'd rather stay in. Right, yeah, <laughs> for longer. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so only four breaths at one time. You can do it more frequently, but you got to do it at least twice a day. Got it. And, the, and after a month, if you're comfortable, you can do it eight breath cycles. And then that's the absolute maximum. And it's good to learn how to slow it down as you practice. What limits you is how long you can comfortably hold your breath, mm -hmm. but with time you can extend that. And after um, you know four to six weeks, there are really amazing changes. It lowers heart rate, lowers blood pressure, improves digestion. It is the most powerful anti-anxiety method I have ever found. Wow! That makes the drugs we use for anxiety look pathetic. Uh, it's it's it, it gets better the more you repeat it. Wow. One of the most useful things I've ever discovered, and of all the, you know, I've explored the world for natural remedies, and of all the things that I've found and told uh, patients to do, this is the one that I've gotten the most spectacular feedback on. And it's free. It's free. It no takes drug. no equipment. There's no money involved. No. And by the way, this is, I think, a perfect example of what integrative medicine can do. It can find things that aren't even on the radar of conventional medicine mm -hmm. and bring them into the mainstream and lower healthcare costs and improve outcomes. So anyway, that, that is my personal favorite method of stress reduction, to keep cortisol levels low. And one of the aims of that is, is protect, preventing cognitive decline and promoting brain health. Now, other things you can do, you know, you're big into physical exercise, mm -hmm. physical activity. I think mental exercise is, is very important too. Um, and that, there are many, many choices there. I, I love to do word puzzles. My, my favorite are acrostics, which I find more interesting and challenging than crossword puzzles. And, uh, you know, I just love, you know, they're great. It's like, it's a, it's a brain exercise for me, and, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do, do, have you played Wordle, which is going on? I mean, I've played a couple times, yeah, I need to get into it. Unbelievable yeah, yeah. how that has gained popularity all over. So I usually do, uh, you know, Wordle every morning when I get up. Really? And yeah, anyway, that, that keeps my brain active. Okay. Another wonderful method is to learn a language, another language. You don't have to master the language. It's the attempt to learn it. That, that, it's challenging. That, yeah, I'm right. in the attempt right now. Okay. I'm learning Spanish. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so right. difficult, but it makes you like work your brain. Absolutely. I speak Spanish. And really? I, and what, interesting, what I discovered is I, in high school, I, I studied German. It was a horrible experience. I had a, my teacher was from Berlin. He was a real 
<laughs> sadistic <laughs> German teacher. Anyways, four years of like, you know, drilling, blah, blah, blah. And I, afterwards, I went to Germany and I could speak passively. But for Spanish, I just went and lived in Mexico, in a village in Mexico. And uh, I was in a place where I was forced to, you know, speak wow. Spanish. And in, um, in a month, you know, I was speaking passively. And then I drove to South America. And when I got to Colombia, where I lived for a few years, I gave a lecture in Spanish. Come on. Seriously. That's incredible. Now, so, you know, and what I've That's learned, and this is not you know, big news, you know, babies do not have minds that learn grammar, no. right? And they learn language. And the, all the, the only skills you need to learn a language are to be able to listen and imitate. Mm. And you have to have strong motivation. So babies have really strong motivation. To survive. You know, yeah, to yeah. survive, right? So if you put yourself in a situation where you have to learn uh, and you listen and you imitate, you learn. You don't need to learn grammar and, and study rules and all, and all that, which makes it much harder. We, you know, we all have that capacity to do. Anyway, that's a very good thing for your to, for your brain. Another is tr uh, trying to learn a musical instrument. I'm mm. terrible at that. I you know I I failed. I was forced to try to play the clarinet when I was a kid as a dismal failure. So uh, that that didn't work for me. But for some people, that's an example. Sure. Here's another one I'll give you. You know the the frustration of trying to deal with a new computer operating system. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like several Switching days. Switching from PC to Mac. Yeah, and like, like ah, that. I it's go like back. you know, there's a there's a period where it is just that's exactly where you want to put your brain. You want to put you it put there. you want to put your brain in that place where it you know where you have to like change gears, rewire. That that's that's good exercise for the brain. Is there too much of that where it hurts the brain, or is well, it like, I don't. Th I, no, I think you just get frustrated. And you you give stop up. for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> And then one other tip I would give, I think it is very good to associate with people who are healthy, happy, who have positive outlooks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when the, um, some years ago, the MacArthur Foundation did a study of successful aging. They, they identified a large group of people as successful agers, and they looked to see what they had in common. The two factors that stood out and this overrode everything else, whether they took vitamins, whether they ate this, right. whether they exercised. The two that stood out were, oh, was maintenance of regular physical activity throughout life. And the second was maintenance of good social and intellectual connectivity. And I think that last one, that is a challenge. You know, it's a ch first of all, in our society, as people get older, they tend to get isolated with other people, other old people. Why is that in our society? I think we don't want old people around. You know, we don't want to look at them. They don't. They remind us that we're going to get old. Really? Yeah, we want them out of the way. And like, but in other societies, they don't do that. Well, in some, like Japan, is is notably different. Uh, I would say in most Latin societies, you know, older people, it's like they live with you. Yeah. You know, they're not isolated in old age homes. Mm. Uh, but I think the, the, so I think the opportunities for social and intellectual connection diminish in this society as you get older. Uh, and I think that's been particularly bad during the pandemic. Uh, you know, there's been much greater social isolation, people staying at home, people interacting virtually. And I think that's, this looks really key to good brain health is like having, uh, you know, I'd say vibrant yeah. social and intellectual relationships. Yeah, it's interesting because my girlfriend, Martha, she's from Mexico, and her her family is very socially connected. Yeah. You know, activities all the time, you know, involving the grandparents with the grandchildren, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, and connecting the dots constantly, playing games, having yeah. fun, and singing music, and playing instruments, and, like, adventures. So I I gotta really hear, cool. I've got a story for you, which yeah, is very powerful. Uh, I knew a woman who was in a pediatric intensive care nurse, and she told me over a period, this was over a period of about six, seven years, uh, she had seen a number of cases of kids, teenagers who'd been in devastating, mostly motorcycle accidents, devastating head injuries, uh, who were in vegetative states in the right. hospital. And she said she saw... Uh, I think it was like eight or ten cases of 
of kids who recovered completely to the astonishment of doctors. But after she'd seen about you know, a certain number of them, she noticed that the, they were all Hispanic. Huh. And she'd never seen an Anglo kid in that state recover. Really? And she so thought about what, what's the difference. And then she realized that with the Hispanic kids, there was always at all hours an extended family around the bed. People talking to the kid, touching the kid, and the white kids were always there by themselves. Really? With nobody, yeah. And she said that clearly was what made the difference. Because that was the only difference, right. essentially, of yeah. seeing that environment. Yeah, they were all in basically the same vegetative right. state. And some of these... But it was that kind of constant stimulation, touch, you know, that wow. kept their brain, that made their brains recover. Even when they were in comas and yeah. vegetative yeah, yeah, yeah. states. Yeah. And she said that they had, some of these had like full recoveries or big recoveries. Full recoveries, yeah. Walking around, talking yeah, normal, yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking clearly. Yeah. Whereas the other kids... Right, she'd never seen it happen in an Anglo kid which had, who had nobody in the room with them. Wow. Yeah. Or maybe they would come for like an hour and then leave yeah. or something, right? right. Or, yeah. Wow. So that's very powerful. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something we should really guard against, you know, is like not getting socially isolated and spending time with people that stimulate us. Well, it's interesting because we were just talking about this beforehand. I'm, you, you told me you're 80 years young. Yeah. 80 years young. I'm going to be 40. <laughs> you're a um, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what, the funny thing you said. You said, you know, when I was young, 80 seemed like, you know. Ancient. Ancient. And 40 used to think like, oh, they're really old too. Yeah, right. When you're like eight. Right. You see a 40-year-old, yeah, 40 40 like, old, right. you're old, man, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I still feel like I've, I'm a child in a yeah. lot of ways. Childlike energy. Yeah, yeah, that's right? good. Not childish, right. but childlike right. energy. And I feel like you have that too. Yeah. You've got this you know, joyful, youthful energy about you. If you could go back to 40, mm -hmm. you, I mean, you've, you've lived an amazing life. <laughs> You've been changing the world for the last 40 years, but if you could go back, is there anything you would do, add, to support you for longevity, now you know everything, beyond what we talked about, or anything you'd take away from habits you did to support you in, in setting yourself up for these last 40 years and beyond? You know, I grew up in a row house in Philadelphia in a city, so I was pretty disconnected from nature. And, uh, I, and then I was you know, in school for a long time. I think if I could go back, I would spend much more time out in nature and, and in the wilderness at, a, at an early age. Why is that? Because I think that's very, it is very good for your spirit as well as your physical being. And, you know, I, I would like to have had more time for that when I was young. Mm -hmm. I didn't eat very wisely until, you know, in my early life. Uh, I didn't know, and uh, you know, I would probably adopt better eating habits early on. Uh, I'd probably practice my four, seven, eight breath right. earlier in life, uh -huh. things like that. Sure. Yeah. And speaking of the, the you know, the bad eating, eating habits, what do you think are the foods that everyone should avoid? Like oh, the, that's the that's, biggest killer. That's the, very simple. Of the know, brand. That's so simple. It's refined, processed, and manufactured food. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's it, that's simple. You know, you want to try to eliminate that. It's all the stuff, mostly all the stuff in the middle of the supermarket. You know, yeah, all the snacks. The 5% of the stuff the snack, you should eat. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it, it's all that. And that's, that's, that's the first, you know, I advocate an anti-inflammatory diet because, uh, you know, chronic low-level inflammation seems to be the root cause of most serious disease that kills and disables people prematurely, and the mainstream diet promotes inflammation. Yeah, uh, and it's and that all that processed, refined, manufactured food gives us the wrong fats, the fats that promote inflammation, the wrong kinds of carbs, and not enough of the protective elements like mm -hmm. those polyphenols and sure. antioxidants that are mostly in fruits, vegetables, herbs, spices. What causes more inflammation in the brain? Is it stresses of life or foods that I cause think it's I don't think you can separate that right. it's all of it yeah it's all of it if you had to eliminate one like which one is less damaging do you think like if you eat healthy perfectly but you're constantly in a low level of stress or high yeah. level of stress versus I am around beautiful people in a great environment but I'm eating <laughs> I, the I, worst too hard I don't know I don't know, know. Yeah. I you know I wrote a book on uh, on eating well for optimum health and I quoted in it I think she was 106, a 106-year-old Russian woman who was asked what was the secret of her longevity, and she said, I never eat vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like so it went you, against everything. Right, right. right. 
So, and, and you know, when you see people who've smoked all their lives and uh, drink like fish and, and they're, so they have very good genes. Exceptions, they have yeah. good genes, right. But, but they, maybe they could have lasted longer. Exactly, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. I've never ate vegetables. I never eat said. vegetables. That That's was hilarious. her secret of her long life. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Did she have a different type of diet? Was she like? I, I think she ate know. meat and potatoes. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And probably vodka. <laughs> now, how, um, we talked about this a little bit the last time, which I think is fascinating that you were willing to talk about relationship stuff because I think it sounds like good social connections is the key to successful aging. Right. And probably a great intimate partner or relationships intimately are, can be supportive or harmful. Well, you can't, yeah, exactly. It can, it can be go either harmful, way. Right, right. yeah. Um, how, does, how does one learn with your amount of wisdom to... Step into a healthy, loving relationship and sustain it. Well, I think a, a big key, we talked about this, you have to start by loving yourself. Man, it's so good. <laughs> that's why I love this guy. It's so good. <laughs> and that's a hard one for a lot of people, you know, that, that we, we seek love in, in an other person. You know, we project something of ourselves onto them. And, uh, you know, but it has to start with loving yourself. And from that place, you can, I think enter into good relationships with other people. When was the age where you feel like you fully loved and accepted yourself? I think it was not until my, it might not have been until my 40s. Really? Yeah, so you got your right at, right at the cusp there. And lots of pain and suffering before yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really in your 40s? Yeah. I don't know that I want to go back and be young again. I mean, in some ways, I'd like to have a more elastic body and, and things like that, but I, I think it's, things are easier now for me. Why is that? Because you love yourself? Yeah, and I think I'm more accepting of myself and more accepting of things. You know, when I, I, I wrote a book on healthy aging, um, and one of the things that I, one of the things I lo looked at was what gets better with age, uh, and what can we see, what, what are examples out there where we see that things improve with age? One of them I wrote about was cheese. We were talking about oh, cheese. Man, stinky cheese. Okay, is the stinky best. cheese. So ch some cheeses get very better with age. Violins, old violins, mm, old trees, better. you know, and, the, and when you look at wine, you know, what are, what are the qualities in these older things that we like? They're more complex, they're, they're deeper, they have more character. Rich. Right, so you can see that in people as well. Uh, and, you know, that if we lived in a society where we valued old people instead of shutting them away, you know, they're, they can be great repositories of wisdom, and I've, I interviewed a lot of older people to, about what they saw get better. Uh, interesting answers. A lot of people felt that they, uh, that they were more accepting of things as they got older, that they had more equilibrium, that things didn't throw them off balance as much right. as when they were young. Right. Uh, you know, that's interesting. They weren't as triggered or they could like manage right. life easier. Yeah. yeah. Some, I, I've heard some uh, scientists say that their memories have gotten better with age. Oh. And they think it's because they have more filed away. So when something new comes along, they, they have more to compare it to sure. to know where it fits. And that's interesting, you know, in when we think about, you know, cognitive decline. Yeah. Some, some things may get better. What have been the main benefits for you? With age? I, I think gra greater self-acceptance, uh, yeah. you know, Definitely, as well, at, at, and uh, in some ways, I'm sort of I, I'm less patient with things and people that take up my time for no good reason. You know, I really want to spend time with with people that make me feel good about mm -hmm. myself, about the world. Uh, so you say you say no to a lot of things that you maybe would have said yes yeah, to exactly. earlier in life. Right. Yeah, I think and I'm more more discriminating about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> what was there a process or like a moment that allowed you to say, oh, actually, this I can accept and love myself, and this is how I'm learning how to do it? Was there like a, a period of no, time? No, I think it was gradual, but it was gradual. in my, in midlife, definitely. Did you have a crisis before then? Did you go through midlife crisis? I had a period of depression, really, uh, of several years. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that just lifted at some point. I think some of it was becoming more physically active. Some of it was changing my diet. Uh, some of it was practicing, you know, meditation and my breathing technique. And some of it was, I think, a natural process that happened with getting yeah. older. Yeah. I've never had a, a like a midlife crisis. I don't want to have a midlife yeah. crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Not like a long You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
But what do you think causes that for people like to go through a quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, where they like say, I'm just gonna change everything. I'm gonna go through a divorce. I'm gonna get married to this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna you know, buy a sports car. Whatever it is that happens for people, why do you, what causes a crisis? I, I, I guess, you know, people sometimes feel stuck in, in, and it often ha- just seems to happen around yeah. 40 and that period. Right. Do you think it's because people aren't in alignment with like where they think they should be going or they're, they're not living their purpose? I, I think that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. But you were, you were living your purpose though during that time. You were doing the medicine stuff. I was. The, I was off on my own. And, right. But, you know, I was... Uh, uh, you know, people thought I was crazy because I dropped out of medicine. I wasn't practicing. I was, you know, living like a hippie. I exploring was other. Exploring, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did not get a lot of reinforcement from the world for what I was doing. Especially not back then. Back, back then. But I knew what I was doing was right and what I had to do. Right. You, so you lived in, lived in Germany for a while? No, I visited there. You, visited Germany. you lived I, in Mexico for a while? I lived in, in South America for Columbia, a while. Right? Colombia, especially, yeah. For how long? About three and a half years. What was it about the, the South American culture, about longevity, that inspired you? In well, I was interested in, uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, I remember having a kid's book. It was about, uh, I think it was about a South American village, but it was about the Andes Mountains. I thought they were my mountains, you know, Andy's mountains. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I, I developed this. Yeah, so my mountains were my they? mountains. Yeah. So I had this. I know some a deep thing I wanted to visit there. And then uh, when I was a student at Harvard, my mentor there was uh, Richard Schultes, who was the father of modern ethnobotany, and he had lived in the Amazon for fourteen years mm. and discovered all sorts of hallucinogenic plants. And he was a fascinating teacher. And he sent me down there to study medicinal plants. And uh, so I think what really drew me down there was the, the uh, culture that was very connected to nature uh-huh. and to plants. And uh, so I learned a lot of things there. You know, I visited shamans and did all sorts of crazy Tried things. Stuff, yeah, Tried stuff. Tried stuff. Right, yeah, exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how, you know, you, you, you joked about the woman who, you know, said my secret was not eating vegetables. Yeah. But how important are plants in improving cognitive brain health in general? Well, I, as I said, people. you know, a lot of the, the, the main sources of these protective polyphenols and antioxidants are plants. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's so many plants out there with yeah. so many different properties. And, uh, you know, the, the foods that have become popular up here are such a small slice of what's possible. So I've also spent a lot of time in Asia and in other cultures, and I always am interested in the foods that people eat, and I've tried to bring them back here really? and turn people on to them, yeah. What are the main foods that you try to have consistently, like, that are unique or different than kind of the standard American diet? Well, I, I you know, I, I use a lot of herbs and spices in yeah. my own cooking. Uh, you know, one of the ones that I'm very big on these days is turmeric, uh-huh. you know, the yellow spice, sure. uh, which Indians eat Every, every every meal from infancy to old age, uh, and in in uh, North America until recently, the only way we got it was in yellow mustard, which is more a turmeric preparation than right, a mustard right, preparation, right. Uh, and in curry, it's the it's what makes curry yellow. But now uh, I was uh, when I was doing that research on aging, I went I made a number of trips to Okinawa, uh, which at the time that I was doing it had the highest number of centenarians in the world. Uh, and I ma- made a number of trips there, and the, the diet there is astonishing. You know, they have s- an incredible variety of sea vegetables, land vegetables, fish. Uh, it's not like the Japanese, main, mainland Japanese diet. Okinawans are not Japanese. They're another, there's something else. What's different than the mainland? They drink jasmine tea, not green tea. They eat more pork, and the pork is long cooked to re- reduce fat. They eat more tofu. The tofu has a higher fat content. They uh, eat this great variety of, of uh, unusual vegetables. But the beverage that I, I was, it was very hot and humid when I was there at the time of year. And uh, a very popular beverage was cold, unsweetened turmeric tea. 
made from a fermented form of turmeric. Mm. Delicious, I mean, really delicious. And uh, I've just recently been able to, to bring it into this country really? and sell it through the, our matcha company, wow, matcha.com. Cool. You can drink it hot or cold. But anyway, turmeric is the most powerful natural anti-inflammatory agent that we know of. Turmeric? Yep. The most powerful, you think? It is. It's the most powerful natural anti-inflammatory agent. A lot of research on it. And interestingly, um, India uh, has the, the lowest rate of Alzheimer's disease uh, in the world. And people think that has to do with the amount of turmeric they can The lowest rate. I think they're also like tightly social yeah, you know, family true, ties. True. It's like... They're great. not... In, I mean, their cardiovascular health is not great. Yeah. Their food habits have changed. But... Uh, there have some protection against Alzheimer's, and turmeric might be yeah that might be a, the factor that accounts for that. Wow, yeah. So anyway, that's that's an example of they something. They have the that lowest I, amount of Alzheimer's. Yeah, in the world. Yes, India. Is it regions of India? Or I like think rural India, especially. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So interesting, but that's you know turmeric's a good thing to include in your in your diet. And even just like a, a turmeric supplement every day is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, that's fine. You don't and have to cook with it, everything. But. Right, all that. Where you know, you can't, uh, like, um, we don't know how to cook with it. You know, right, like yeah. Americans Throw don't it on, it's not going to taste good on a steak. Yeah, yeah and, if you, and if you put too much, it's astringent, not pleasant. Uh, I had a student, a, a family physician from South India, and she was a very good cook. And she said she tells her patients to try putting a level teaspoon of powdered turmeric in beans, uh, bean dishes, stews, soups. That level of it is level you know, teaspoon good. Level teaspoon, yeah. put it in, and that's it. Yeah. But that fermented turmeric is a great drink. It's delicious. Interesting. Yeah. I've never been able to get into fermented It doesn't, this doesn't taste. It doesn't so, taste fermented? No, even? no. Okay, that's good. But fermented things are good to get into. I know. That's what I hear. It's so good But if for you the like gut. stinky cheese, why don't you like fermented oh, man, things? Man, the stinky cheese is amazing. Well, that's a fermented product. I mean, it's got a living It's got a culture. different smell and taste uh-huh. than like a, a liquidy or like a fermented like I don't know vegetables. Like I don't know. It just doesn't. T- it's just like a weird aftertaste. Huh. But the stinky cheese. Maybe you've I'm never on. had good fermented stuff. Maybe that's what it is. Because uh, to me, good fresh, good fermented stuff. It's it's got a fresh, really, really fresh crisp. I make my own sauerkraut. I make kimchi. I make wow. pickles. It's really delicious. You you need to. I got to get you some oh, good. I stuff. have the palate of a seven year old. No, like, if you like stinky cheese, well, I, that's the only thing I can. <laughs> okay. But most stuff, like I'm very picky. That's the challenge. <laughs> What are the main benefits of fermented foods? Well, mostly you're eating, li- first of all, the, f- the foods are partially digested, so they're more assimilable. Uh, you know, the, the, micro- the, the microorganisms have done work for you that your body doesn't have to do. But the living cultures are what's really important. You know, this, is, this feeds your gut microbiome. And this, this is one of the most exciting revolutionary changes in medical thinking in my lifetime. When I was in medical school, you know, I learned that we have these organisms in our gut and that assist in digestion and that was it. And that mm. people who took, uh, ate yogurt or took uh, acidophilus supplements were health nuts. And now, you know, we're, the gut microbiome, it looks like it's, it's involved in everything. I mean, it, it, it conditions your mental health. It influences your interactions with the environment. I mean, it just, it's it's the key to mm-hmm. health and how you move through the world. Right. So, the gut microbiome in our society has changed for the worse in the in recent years as a result of several things. One is incredible overuse of antibiotics, which do wreak havoc on the gut microbiome. Um, decline in breastfeeding because uh, breastfeeding gives provides organisms you know early in life. Um, increased um, consumption of these refined, processed, and manufactured foods, which feed the wrong kinds of organisms. And then, and finally, the unbelievable rise in cesarean deliveries. Wow. Because when babies are born, normally the, the, the uh, organisms they pick up come from the birth canal and colonize the gut. Right. When they're born by cesarean, they come from the skin, and it's a different population of, of microorganisms, and they get established for life. Right. So the, the combination of those things, I think, has re- I think, and this has to do with why there's a rise of allergies, autoimmune diseases, maybe things like ADHD, 
so you want to keep your gut microbiome healthy. So one way to do that yeah. is to eat f fermented foods. Oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> if, I don't like, if I don't like the smell or the taste of fermented foods, is there anything else besides kombucha? Well, you can, you, yeah, no, you don't have to. I don't, I don't drink kombucha. Uh, I, I like sauerkraut. I like kimchi, good pickles, uh -huh. miso. Uh, miso? Yeah. Okay, I can do that's miso. That's a good one. All right. I can do miso one. soup. Okay. Yeah, that's that's, that's fermented. Yeah, miso is a fermented. It doesn't have the smell of the. No, I, I hear you. To, you know what uh -huh. I mean? Yeah. So Another one. Did you ever eat tempeh? Yeah, I can eat tempeh. So tempeh is a fermented soy food. Okay. Also. I don't like soy as much, but I mean, if that's got the benefits, all well, ferment. Okay. The tempeh doesn't taste like soy. Yeah, yeah. It okay. tastes like it's meaty. Right. Okay. So tempeh. Okay, is you miso. can take you can take yogurt. You know that has living cultures okay. in it or kefir. Okay. Right. Uh, you can take probiotic supplements, but they may not be as good as the as the foods. And the other thing you can do is t is make sure you're consuming enough prebiotics, which are foods that feed the the beneficial microorganisms, and that's mostly fiber-containing foods. Fibers, beans, 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 vegetables, whole grains. So you want prebiotics and probiotics, both. Yeah. You want to consume a lot of them daily, or prebiotics you should have on a regular basis. You know that should just be part of your diet, uh, and probiotics. As, you know whatever foods you can take, or you can take, as I said, a probiotic supplement. Sure, sure, yeah. okay, all right. So if I if I'm going to have the palate of a seven year old, take the probiotic supplements. <laughs> but especially important if, for any reason, you have to take antibiotics. You know, it's really take those important. afterwards. Yeah. It will be from the moment you start taking the really? antibiotic. Yeah. What happens if you're taking antibiotics and you're not taking probiotics at the same time? It drastically changes your gut microbiome. Wow. You know, it wipes out a lot of the good organisms. How long does it take to get back to like a healthy space? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, maybe the body comes back pretty quick from that. I don't know. Wow. But it's important to take it before and during yep. and after, it sounds yeah, like, yeah, yeah. to get it back to baseline. Yeah. Man, because I just took some antibiotics a couple weeks ago from a a dental surgery I yep. had to take, and so it didn't get infected. Right. But it's, I should be overloading now on probiotics, it yeah. sounds like. Okay. So I should have talked to you, you before. should have talked to you before. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> <I know. laughs> what is it? You mentioned that India is the lowest rate of dementia or Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. What countries or regions are the highest rate of Alzheimer's? Do we know? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, okay. Alzheimer's is pretty consistent around the world. Yeah. Uh, so as I say, we but don't... it seems lower in India. It seems lower in India, in rural Indian population. Interesting. Yeah. But it's consistent around the world. Yeah. There's not one country that has a higher rate. Not that I know of. Oh, right. gotcha. Not that I know of. That'd be interesting to see. Yes. I, I, maybe we do know that. I don't, I, I don't know that. It seems like it's, there's, a ch there's an issue in America. I mean, maybe I'm just hearing about it, but is it... And when does it usually... Well, you know, we used to call... When I was uh, growing up, my, my mother's father was senile. Right. So that's what we said. You know, people got senile. Uh, that was dementia. Now, there's different forms of dementia. Alzheimer's is one kind of dementia um, that's associated with particular brain changes. So maybe there's an increase in, in our population. Maybe that's because we have more older people around. I don't know that it's actually increased. May, may call it by a different name. But there are a lot of people over 100 who don't have decline as well. Exactly. Right. right. But it sounds like they're doing a lot of these things correctly. They have right. strong social ties. They're, they, they're doing the exercises and brain games or music or right. languages. Exactly. They're right. doing something challenging yep. for the brain that's like making them think or puzzles or whatever it might be. They're also um, eating generally well, it sounds like, with these types of foods and polyphenols and antioxidants and all these different things and anti-inflammatory turmeric and stuff right. like that. So there, it sounds like they're doing more of these things. Yep. Obviously, there's exceptions. Yep. You hear someone smoking their whole life and living to 100. Yeah. But in general, it sounds like you do a lot of these things, you could live a longer, healthier life. Now, the other one is, is trying to do whatever you can to avoid uh, environmental toxins. And that's not so easy. Yeah. You know, you can get a water filter for your home, which is a good idea. Um, you know, maybe an air filter, depending. But I think things like getting plastics out of your life, um, avoiding secondhand smoke, um, you know, just paying attention to all this. Like, like, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of organic agriculture, not mostly, not because I think the foods 
necessarily more nutritious, but to avoid uh, contamination with things uh. you don't want. And, uh, you know, it's gotten easier to get organic produce, but for many people it's difficult. Either it's not accessible or it's expensive. So a good thing to do is to learn which crops are most likely to be contaminated. And a good source of information on that, there's a group in Washington called the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org. And they uh, periodically publish a list of what they call the Dirty Dozen, okay. which are the 12 most contaminated crops. Strawberries are always at the top of the list. Really? You know, other things like green beans. Uh, mm. you know, and, and then they have also a Clean 15 list, which is the, the least contaminated, things like avocados and bananas. So if you're buying something from the Dirty Dozen list, it's probably worth making an effort to get it organic or not eat it. Got it. From the clean 15 list, doesn't matter. So that that's a and way of, yeah. It's so try to get more. organic in, on that list if possible. But isn't it sometimes like organic still has chemicals or pesticides, even if it says organic? I mean, No, we have good, we have good organic standards now. Okay. I mean, the industry is constantly trying to whittle them away. Okay. Uh, but we've beaten it back so far. I mean, there was when they first got that USDA organic certification, I remember there was an attempt to allow, the industry wanted to allow uh, sewage sludge to be put on crops and still call it organic. Oh my gosh. That, that we beat that back. Wow. Yeah. Um, but if, <laughs> if it's got that seal on it, it, it's good. Now, however, also realize that it costs money for farmers to get that certification. So small farmers often can't afford that. So if you're at local farmers markets and small growers, often uh, growers will say that they're pesticide free. You know, they can't afford the USDA organic certification, but they'll say that their crops, they don't use pesticides, it's still which good. is good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also, you know, don't keep poisons around the house, herbicides, you know, pesticides, um, all of those things. You don't want to be exposed to them. When you mention plastics, <clears throat> avoiding plastics, what does that include? Drinking that includes out of plastic bottles, living with all, plastic in your life? Yeah, like? as much as possible, because what's, what you see happening is that um, plastics that we've always considered safe turn out not to be. Like what? I don't remember what the latest, you know, the latest one that I've seen. Sir, like drinking out of a plastic bottle or like? Yeah, drinking out of a plastic bottle, using uh, plastic storage dishes for food. You really? know, use glass instead. Uh, use glass bottles. Or tin or something else. Right. Sort of, yeah. With plastic wrap for food, there's, uh, you know, there some of them are cons- have uh, chemicals called phthalates in them. Plastic right? wrap, like a wrap to store yeah. the food. Yeah, but there are some brands that don't have that. I, so so I don't get plastic when you're wrapping the or, food. Or look, again. again, this use that EWG site that I gave you. They rate all these products. EWG.org? It, is yeah, the Environmental Working Group, EWG.org. They also have, uh, you know, a, you can look up things like cosmetic products, mm-hmm. shampoos and lotions deodorants. and creams and deodorants, and they'll you'll tell you which one's you know, they have a, a color code, green being safe and red being no. Yeah, that's very useful EWG has a lot of this stuff on all these products yeah. out in the market all right online, now. right, and they're rated by brand, particular brands. Really? Yeah. Uh, based on how well environmentally friendly or if they have plastics or, or if what they chemicals have poisons they got or whatever. Yeah, all that, right. Wow. They test them and, the, you know, it's a very good organization. Okay, I'm going to look at that for sure. Yeah. Um, who is more likely to go through cognitive decline in general, men or women, and why do you think? <sighs> I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, women live longer than men, and we don't know why that is either. Um, when you look around the world uh, at areas where there are, you know, people over 100, um, when you get up in those age ranges, it's mostly women. There's one, uh, one uh, exception that I know is the island of Sardinia off Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a high population of centenarians and men and women are equal, and nobody knows why. Really? But that there it's more equal versus other yeah, places? Yeah, other places, women. women greatly outnumber men when you get up in the upper 90s and 100s. There's one theory that the, uh, the Y chromosome is toxic, that it, that it produces toxic gene products that do men in. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's also possible that men engage in more risky, risky yeah. behaviors and... It's also like the the size, you know, it's like, is it harder to pump blood and recover when you're bigger, you know, physically Uh than a woman? Yeah. I don't know if that has something to do with it. And maybe in Sardinia, there may be like tinier men. I don't know. We don't know. I haven't been there, so I can't say. 
What do you think is, um, you've been in this kind of health and wellness industry for a long time. You've seen trends come, trends go. You've seen new discoveries happen over the last, you know, 40, 60 yeah. years. What do you feel like we're missing in this, you know, health world <laughs> that we need to be focusing on more that we haven't actually leaned into or discovered yet? And what do you also think will be happening over the next five to 10 years with new discoveries? Can I say a word about psychedelics? Can you say what? A word about psychedelics? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I never thought I'd write another book. You know, uh -huh. I've written 15 books. My publisher has persuaded me to write a book on psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just starting work on that. And it's titled Psychedelics Can Save the World, which I truly believe. And, uh, you know, I've been involved with them since way, way back. And uh, I am very excited to watch this, mm -hmm. what's happening with them. You know, they are re really entering the mainstream. I think they have tremendous potential for healing. And I'm a little um, disappointed that all the attention has been on uh, the possibilities of using them in psychiatric medicine mm -hmm. for depression and PTSD and so forth, which, you know, is great. But I think they have incredible potential for physical healing as well because I've seen that again and again. And uh, I, frankly, I think it's the only thing I see out there that has a potential to save us from disaster. Really? Yeah, because we are clearly headed for disaster. And uh, it's only going to be through a, a transformation of consciousness Wow. Uh, that I think we can save ourselves, and they have the potential to do that. Uh, and, and, and as you know, this is it, it is amazing. Before the pandemic, when I was traveling around a lot and speaking, um, no matter where I was and what I was talking about, whether it was on an anti inflammatory diet or integrative medicine or healthy aging, the questions I get would be about psychedelics. Right. You know, where can I get them? How can I take them? How can I do this? Uh, a few months ago, Vogue magazine had a cover story on psilocybin. Uh, Town and Country magazine of all places recently had an article titled, Why is Everybody Smoking Toad Venom? I mean, this is like mm -hmm. clearly becoming a mainstream phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And then sooner or later, sooner I hope, they will be forced out of the restrictive drug schedule they're now in sure. and they'll become available. And I think the potential out there is tremendous. And, and I've seen remarkable physical healings in mm -hmm. people, instantaneous, uh, you know, of lifelong patterns that can change. Sure. Uh, just by changing something in your head. Now, I want to ask you a question about this because yeah. I've never taken psychedelics. I've never been high. Mm -hmm. I've never been drunk in my life. <laughs> well, that's admirable. Never been. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's admirable or just a choice I yeah, decided right. to make. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't have pain and suffer yeah, yeah, in other yeah. ways. Right. And maybe getting high and smoking weed would have helped me relieve certain pains. I don't know because I've never done it. Um, but I want to ask you. I want to. I want to ask you a question about this because I think this is interesting. I've been. I've been conflicted with psychedelics, and I know a lot of people that do them and mm -hmm. swear by them and mm -hmm. say they've had these miraculous healings. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, that's awesome if it's supporting you. Right. And then I see other people that keep taking them and nothing changes. And well, but they swear by it. Well, I had this healing, but then they're still in darkness. And it's like, okay. It, you know, is it something we use consistently or is it a tool that unlocks us to start integrating like holistic I don't think it's practices. something you need, you use consistently. Okay. And and also weed is not a psychedelic. Right, right. But okay. I mean just like drug, weed, but then I mean psychedelics in general. Yeah, yeah, no, I think for for many people a single experience with them, you know, or occasional experience does it. Is enough. Yeah, and I'm, I wrote, my first book was called The Natural Mind and it was about... Mm -hmm. Uh, altered states of consciousness and drugs written in it's 50 years ago wow. came out it's still in print and still wow. still used and uh, uh, Alan Watts uh, mm -hmm. gave a blurb for the book wow. and and he and he it was a quote that I really like referring to using drugs frequently he said you know when you get the message you hang up the telephone mm. you don't and, need to keep using it. no yeah. exactly now, here's, here's another question for you. You know, you, you studied meditation and, yep. and, and spirituality and a lot of these different things and, and study with a lot of people as well have done that. I have found that in my meditative practices, when I truly allow myself to be in calm mm -hmm. consistently, now this might mm -hmm. take days to yep. do till I can get to that point yep. where I'm like fully disconnected from stresses and environmental mm -hmm. things that are causing me to be feel triggered or reactive. Yeah. But when I am able to go into those places, which, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do that and take a few days and do that, I get it. But when I'm able to do that, I feel like I'm having the most transcendental, mm -hmm. 
journeys in my mind and feeling the physical benefits of that as well of healing through my own internal pharmacy, let's yeah. say, without an external thing causing the pharmacy internally to transform. It's also with the integrative of constant healing and applying the lessons I learned from that and having support in that ways, which allows me to keep integrating it. Um, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on first practicing like other holistic ways before the psychedelics? Because yeah. I'm all for it. If you've tried everything, you've you spent time in nature, you've done different therapies, and you're still suffering and there's no way out. Mm-hmm. What I get worried about is when people say, oh, I feel like I'm stressed, let me take a psychedelic, or mm-hmm. I feel like I'm overwhelmed and I'm just like, I don't know how to manage this, let me take a psychedelic. That's my only concern. Well, that's not how I, I think they should be used. Right. You know, I think there should be preparation for the experience mm-hmm. and so forth. First of all, it's very likely that we have an endogenous psychedelic in our brains. Inside of us. Yeah, it's yeah. probably DMT, right. uh, which is found in many plants uh-huh. and in that psych- you know, in that psychedelic toad. It's probably produced in the pineal gland yes. and, may, and, and maybe when you have profound experiences through other methods, there's a release of that in the brain. Yes. So that's you know first thing. The third eye. Yeah. Getting into the exactly, pineal gland right. and and moving yeah. the energy up right. into the pineal gland and right. having that DMT experience, we can create that without right. the drug. Yeah. But I think the the transformative experience that I've seen ha- have mostly resulted when people have been prepared, have mm. done preparation for the use, not taking it casually and right, not to and not to sort of fix themselves. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm just a big. I'm all for learning and exploring, but I'm also like, man, I've never done that stuff. So yeah. I know you have, but I know there's other healing modalities that are available without that for people. True. However, the other healing modalities tend to be slow. <laughs> true. And, and the psychedelic can provide that almost it's instantaneously. True. It's true. Just right. going to talk therapy, you may not get those results. Yeah. It might take years right. of like going once a month before you get very little results. Yeah. Also, I heard a wonderful. Uh, I don't know who said this about uh, talk therapy. Is that you know when you've got a poisoned arrow in you, you want to know how to get it out. You don't know. You don't want to know how it got there. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yes. And that's why I think when you know I've had to try to take the approach of like extreme, you know, measures when it comes to like healing, like mm-hmm. really diving into like intensive workshops, right. really diving into like intense. I've done eight-hour therapy sessions where I'm wow. like, no, let's get to the root. Like, yeah. give it to me. Yeah. So I think you've got to be willing to go there. Yeah, I agree. If you don't take the psychedelics, you've got to say, I'm going to face this pain head yeah. on, bring it on, let's go. I'm willing to open up and, and do the work. Yeah. Because if you don't, it's going to just continue suffering. So anyway, that's my caveat for, yeah. for my, my consciousness to make sure I speak about that as well. But I know I have friends who swear by ayahuasca and different psychedelics that have supported them in, in, in awakening. Mm-hmm. Things that are holding them back, and then, but you still got to take the action consistently once, yeah. you, once you're aware of it. So, well, we'll see what happens, but I'm very hopeful about seeing this. You know, that you think that's going to be the next yeah, wave, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope people do it consciously and effectively, of and course, not just like right. a, you know a casual thing. No, that's I, a challenge. Yeah. Um, anything else you feel like we're missing that is going to be coming? With, after psychedelics, in terms of healing and wholeness, because you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of mind-body medicine. And actually, yeah. it's something that I've learned from psychedelics is that by changing things in your head, you can change things in your body and in the external world. And uh, that that has been so ignored in medicine. You know, conventional medicine and science really don't believe in the mind and that the mind can affect the body. Really? Yeah. Our thoughts yeah. can affect the body. Yeah. But our thoughts do affect the body. Yeah. Obviously, but that's that's not taken advantage of. It's not acknowledged, and it's because uh, our science and medicine are totally dominated by a materialistic paradigm, which does not see the reality of the non-physical. Uh, I think that's going to change, and I think that'll bring a lot of good. It'll free a lot of things up. But there's so many frequencies that are not physical, not yeah. material. You know, the frequency of thinking, the frequency of feeling love. Of love, yeah. Those are frequencies right. that you can't yeah. measure physically, right. right? But they're real. And the, and you talked about last time how, like, you know, you allowed yourself to heal more when you when you created love. Yeah. You felt loved by another yeah. human and got in relationships. Your body healed. Yeah. So 
how do we study that and how do we get into that next of like the, studying the mind and the emotions? With, well, with, there we're creeping up on it. You know, these new techniques of brain imaging, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we can, we can image living brains and we've been able to show that uh, placebo responses really are, are associated with actual activity in certain brain regions or that um, experienced meditators have changes in the size of certain areas mm -hmm. of the brain. So this begins to make it real for, for people. Yeah, I went to a seven-day meditation retreat with Dr. Joe Dispenza a few months yep. ago, and he had a lot of different scientists there, I guess, you know, studying, I don't know, 15 different case, uh, test points, I guess, from like brain imaging to yeah. blood to feces to saliva to all these things every day mapping and exploring like, yeah. the, the benefits. And it's amazing to see the natural pharmacy right. that we have in yeah. terms of healing ourselves yeah. with thinking, with breathing, like you talked about the four, four seven, seven, eight, eight breathing. Right. This is a healing experience. Yep. And incorporating the mind-body, I think, is a very powerful thing. How can we start to learn to teach this earlier so kids have this philosophy you just do it. I mean, right. you can like teach kids the four, seven, eight breath, for example. Yeah. yeah. This is beautiful stuff. Um, I'm very excited about this and I'm excited about everything you're creating and the message you bring to the world. Um, I want to mention, before I ask the final questions, I want to mention about uh, your website at matcha.com. This thing is pretty cool. I'm going to try this. The integrative hydration, matcha plus electrolytes. electrolytes yeah. I think it's really cool. I'm a big fan of electrolytes, but well, why try add matcha? Because to you're get it's for the polyphenols and the antioxidants and all that good stuff. And you know, while there is caffeine in matcha, uh, it's moderated by this other amino acid, L-theanine, that that has a calming effect. So the stimulation of of tea and matcha in particular is very different from that of coffee and other caffeine plants. It's like it's like. Uh, Calm alertness, people describe. Really? Yeah. So it's not a jittery. It's not jittery. Like coffee. No. Gotcha. So when so, you add matcha with electrolytes, what does that do? It adds. Well, it's very tasty, first uh, of all. You know, it's a very pleasant drink. You get, the, you know, a, a nice alert feeling from it. It's good. I'm a big fan of matcha. And, and uh, you know, I started this company, matcha.com. Yeah. It brings high quality matcha and, and turmeric, fermented turmeric also. So now you got fermented turmeric there as well. Yeah. You can get. Yeah. It's amazing. I love matcha.com. It's a great, great domain. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by it. And we'll give you know your listeners a discount. Oh, what do we way. got? Just the code is SOG. SOG. And they get a discount. Yeah. Awesome. What do they get? How much off do we know? I don't remember what it is. They'll give you a percentage We'll give you a percentage off. Go to matcha.com. Use SOG when you check out. and uh, You'll get it. We'll get you a discount there. I love that. Um, and what is the main website for you where people can it's learn It's drweil.com, And also, um, I recommend that people check out the Integrative Medicine Center at the University of Arizona. Uh, it's integrativemedicine.arizona.edu. Okay. There are a lot of wonderful educational offerings, including uh, a number for general public. Okay, cool. I asked you these two questions last time, my final questions. I'm curious where you're at at this season of life from two, almost two years later. Um, before I ask them, I want to acknowledge you, Dr. Wow, for, for how you keep showing up and keep being curious and mm -hmm. keep trying to bring new ideas to the world and exploring and, and adapting them so that we can consume them. So I really acknowledge you for your generous wisdom that you Thank continue you. to bring to all of us to optimize our health. I asked you this last time, um, so I'll have to go back and look and see what your response okay. was. But it was the three truths question, three truths. So imagine you get to live as long as you want to live uh, and accomplish everything you want to accomplish for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, you got to take all of your work and your message with you. So we don't have this conversation, your books, everything's gone for whatever reason, hypothetical. But you get to share three lessons of wisdom you would share with the world from mm -hmm. everything you've known about your life. I call it three truths you would share. What would be those three truths for you? Well, I think one of them is everything is as it should be. It's uh, hard for people to accept. I know. I think another one is that uh, you have the ability to heal yourself mm. and that um, it's really important to love yourself. Why do you think most people are never taught how to love themselves? That's a good question. Yeah. It's almost like that should be one of the first things Absolutely. to Absolutely. It's how to love and accept who yeah. you are. Even if you're not 
where you want to be. You yeah. can still love and accept yeah. who you are and the mistakes you've made and, and move yeah. forward. But, and that's going to be my next book, How to Love Yourself, <laughs> right? Figure that out. Good. Um, I love those three truths. This is the, uh, the final question. What is your definition of greatness? I think really using your full potential. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Dr. Wild, thank right. you so much. Appreciate Pleasure. you. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com slash newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Great.